0: Good day and welcome to abundant life. I'm here with Randy Kay. My name is David Baldwin We're gonna have a little fireside chat about Randy's experience that he actually Died and interacted with God pretty amazing story. He's written a book about it called dying to meet Jesus and uh, It's uh, a story that is worth telling. So Randy give us give us the overview of what the experience was like for you. Yeah Uh, David
1: I did not believe in near-death experiences until I had my own I really have been involved in clinical work, leading a clinical team in neurology and cardiology, cardiovascular surgery for much of my career. So I was scientifically based, fact-based, and uh, oftentimes refuted those stories. What happened was I was crying out to God, you know, if uh, I I was in a moment of feeling uh, broken and frustrated with God, and I shouted out, and in, in, in my bedroom, God, if you're there, I need to see you. I need you to show up. So I came back uh, after an interview with uh, a large uh, company, healthcare company out east. And when I returned, my, le- my calf started hurting. And I let it go. I thought, well, you know, I'd been exercising uh, previously. Maybe I strained my calf. So i let it go for a number of hours i actually went bicycling up the coast we live in the san diego area and uh normally what would be a very casual bike ride turned into a very arduous one and my calf swelled to about one and a half times its size again i tried to reason or rationalize it by saying this is just a pole muscle and there's no need to fret because after you know many trying months actually uh we were going on a trip with my family to the mountains so the last thing i wanted to do was really uh go into the doctor but it got so bad i could not walk up the stairs i have asthma and so my breathing typically is strained but now it was tremendously strained to the point where i couldn't even go from the kitchen to take out the trash to the side uh, yard without being very winded. And when I would try to go up the stairs, I could barely move my leg. The calf was very heavy at this point. So I decided that I would go to the orthopedic doctor to just get uh, an anti-inflammatory agent, uh, some medications, maybe a painkiller so that we could go on our trip. So I went into the orthopedic uh, doctor and he said to me, okay, um, this obviously this doesn't look normal by this time it was almost twice the size of my uh, left calf which was normal he said press into your heel and tell me how that feels and it was very painful he said press into the ball of your foot and I pressed into the ball of my foot and he said is that painful and I said no just my heel and he said then that's not the muscle because in the ball of your feet if you press in that's the straining the muscle but in the back that's straining the deep vein. Um, I went into the I was was rushed to the ER uh, and then went through a series of tests, an ultrasound where they test for uh, blood clots from the lower leg up and throughout my entire right leg, there were blood clots and several of them, not just one blood clot, but there were um, six blood clots which had traveled all the way up the leg and what happens with blood clots and them traveling is that your arteries basically become larger, you know, your veins become larger, I should say, as it travels up the leg. And eventually it goes into the lung and it blocks the pulmonary artery, which is the main artery for breathing. That was, that was what was causing me to, um, to feel very, very winded. And the CAT scan confirmed this is a D dimer, which is an anticoagulant agent, uh, was high. All the levels were very high. At that point, uh, the doctor came in after all the tests and he said, You were a walking dead man uh, when you came in here. And so I, at that point, I was just thinking, Okay, I have two young children, I have a wife. Uh, I, we'd already gone through some trials. Uh, I needed to support them and all of those questions that arise as a result of facing potentially an impending death because the doctor also said there was a 27 year old young lady, surfer, who came in uh, the prior day and she had died from this very thing called pulmonary embolism, which is a a blockage, uh, clotting the airway It it happens to be the third leading cause of death. And so the only thing that could be done was one of two things Uh, to rush me to uh, University of California San Diego where there was a specialist to crack the chest to remove the clots because there were several of them and The doctor felt if I was transported there by the time I got there, I would be dead so I was placed on heavy co- anticoagulants, that is, blood thinners. At that point, and uh, it was just a wait and see game. Um, the patient uh, in next to me was transported during the course of this time, uh, as we were waiting to see, you know, if if the body would start to uh, reconcile these blood clots. And the patient next to me was out of the room and I learned later that he probably had what was called um, MRSA which is a a blood it's a bacteria it's a antibiotic resistant bacteria one of the most fatal at that time the the death rate on that alone was 20% and so I had both of these things going on now uh, I had what essentially amounted to traffic jam throughout my body the doctor came in and tried to pull uh, from my arm some blood and he said well this is strange Uh, and he could not because my blood had been coagulating throughout my body he could not pull out or extract any blood to test it in the lab Uh, or finally he got a little bit uh, out but uh, at that time I was in a crisis mode to say the very least so I felt like a floppy fish out of water eventually. I just started convulsing. and it was at that point that uh, my heart went into arrhythmia and eventually stopped. At that point when it stopped, I was in uh, a period of darkness. There's about a six minute lapse between when the heart stops and the brain stops. the brain is
0: dead. so so, so take us into yes. that because there's a yes. lot of people that would be very curious as to what that felt like, looked like, you just said it was just went dark. It went dark and normally the clinicians would rush in code blue.
1: They're on it. Right. But I was in the general floor because it was a waiting game at that point with the anticoagulant. So the nurse had stepped away. The uh, monitor was, was alarming that it's flatlining, but um, there was not an immediate response. So I was, the heart had stopped for about 30 minutes. The brain, typically clinical studies have shown, lasts for about six minutes thereafter. So what the darkness was something that was immediate, which was a kind of a sense of listlessness, of of being in, in a space of of I don't know what. And I saw in the distance something very strange because as as I was I was literally rising. And this light from above was cascading down and illuminating everything in my midst. And in the distance, I saw in kind of like a faded rolling hills, I saw these kind of warring figures. They were bizarre. They were otherworldly looking. And I didn't know exactly what that was. So it created some degree of fear, but I just shouted out the name of Jesus Christ. I just blurted it out because I knew and I was... I knew Jesus at this time, even though I had been angry with Him before. I um, had this experience, and it was at that point that my wife tells me I can't cry because I'm one of the things that um, John Berkworth, the forward for my book. He did a thirty-year study on end, near-death experiences, and he said, you know, for people, many people who have these, they're in the moment. It's not like a typical memory. So you're there. So Whenever I mentioned that time, um, my feet had settled and there was an arm wrapped around me. And um, Were you standing or just laying
0: there? I was standing. He was, he was by my side. And you just knew it was Jesus? I knew that I knew. And he didn't say anything? You just, by, it was just in your spirit or you just were solidly secure, this is Jesus? For the
1: first however amount of time... There were no words that needed to be spoken because um, as I knew I had been ushered into, into heaven at that point, everything was intuitive. I knew Jesus' thoughts. He knew mine. Uh, everything was very clear. There was no, no need to communicate via words. My first sense in meeting Jesus was this. Uh, I said this. Um, In my mind and that is so this is love Because oftentimes, you know in this world with relationships we have here We think of love in terms of an emotion and action Mm -hmm. but Jesus is love, you know, God is love the Bible tells us that Mm -hmm. and so in meeting the person of love It was entirely different He didn't have to say I love you because I knew it, his whole persona was love at that point. And I just caved down to my, to my knees, and, I, and he lifted me up, and he said, um, trust me, trust me. And uh, I could feel the, the whiskers, you know, they were soft, of his, of his beard, his face. He had a beard. He did have a beard, it. yes. Um, brown hair. Uh, longer it's brown. like the
0: image that people might think or grew uh, up in a church thinking that Jesus would look like or
1: yes yeah, very Middle Eastern and I really didn't look at his face until I eventually you know when he had lifted me up and he was by my side I turned and I saw his eyes there were a brown uh, olive color and he looked through me and he tunneled into everything dark about me so he, the light of Jesus Christ, had tunneled through into my darkest places and illuminated me with a, with a peace and a comfort that I had never in my whole life, both before, before and after, experienced. Um, to say it was spectacular or amazing would be um, an under, a gross understatement. I wasn't concerned at that point of what was around me because all I wanted to be was in the presence of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And, and he spent time with me. It wasn't until after, he, uh, he always had his arm around me after we started taking a walk that I, le- that I then looked around uh, to see where I was. Where were you? I was in heaven. It was a paradise. How do you know it was heaven? I knew, again, everything, in, everything there was intuitive. I knew exactly where I was. I knew what Jesus was saying to me. I knew things beyond what my common understanding would be in my in my physical body my new spiritual body felt I felt like I had gone from an old jalopy to you know a new sports car I mean it was it was amazing how how good I felt I could breathe all of the things that that I didn't have in this world that I was deprived of I had physically or spiritually in that place and I knew that I knew and Jesus again didn't have to declare this as heaven; he did show me, and to as he looked, because I did see the angels about and I heard them. Um,
0: what does an angel look like? What did you see that?
1: Yeah, well, that's a good question, David. Because the angels I saw looked very different than Jesus. Jesus was a common figure, just like you and I. He he looked very much the same. He. Um, he spoke in like manner. There was nothing, you know, you know, the the glory of the Lord that we we picture. Although I did see that during during that one point, but it wasn't then. It was with he was a, he was a kindred a kindred friend to me, and that's how I thought of him as
0: we were walking about as a kindred. Yeah, a similar friend. look, human-looking body that we're familiar with, kind of thing, or
1: yes, he had a white robe. It was very cottony, very soft. Oh. Um, I didn't. I didn't really know what I was wearing at the time, but um, he looked very much, you know, like a, a common person would be Middle Eastern, you know, kind of olive skin. Mm-hmm. But you asked them about what the angels looked yes. like, and they were very different. Okay. The angels. Um, this is going to sound a little wacky <laughs> or woo-zoo, but they had. They were gargantuan. They were tall, you know, like seven feet, shakuni a type of tall, okay. and. Um, their their arms were obviously long, but they were kind of a copperish type um, color, as I recall, because everything is vivid. Even now, the memory is, is vivid uh, yeah. from heaven. Again, that's something indicative of many of those who have had experiences yeah. like Mary C. Neal and, um, and Don Piper. Um, there was something about their eyes was... It was almost like they were more fire than they were pupils it was um, their voices resonated uh, like would be a multiple voices at once um, so they were otherworldly I would say versus Jesus was was very kindred in his appearance in his nature and I could see for the first time, and looking at them, I could see, you know, and I and I think you know Jesus understood this as well because he was he did talk to me. Um, I could see why at the beginning of time, because of these awesome figures, the angels, why why some like Satan, could say, "Well, follow me," because Jesus was that familiar and they were that unfamiliar, mm-hmm. and that a multitude, uh, what you know, ten percent or a tenth of the angels would leave uh, with Satan because it was that that way but everything in heaven had life everything was was blooming and full there was nothing dying no like fall you know like, like a f-
0: forest of trees or flowers or water or rivers or what
1: yes it was like a, a nature scape but it was also more than that so i saw villages of people and the the villages blended together so they were contiguous you they weren't like a, a tutor style or anything of that nature you know the bible talks about you know or jesus said that he was going and that he was that we'd have a mansion you know he's he building a mansion and several rooms yeah. well if you look at the the scriptural word is uh translation is more dwelling and so um the villages i saw were contiguous and everybody was living um it seemed in some way together with each other because there was a, an affinity for each other and everybody As I saw them was different than I viewed them in this world I didn't see for example any racial differences, although they were, you know, racially ethnic ethnically different I just saw them as their features as the creativity of God. There was nothing carrying over uh, from this world, no prejudices, nothing of that nature, because in heaven I felt perfected.
0: Um, so you saw other, like new bodies, human bodies that were in these villages, I guess, or, yes. or whatever you want to call.
1: It. And I saw my grandmother. Um, what some term a life review? So I saw my grandmother. Was they really the only one that was close to me yeah. that had passed by this time? And. I saw her and I had actually led her to the Lord in prayer um, years prior and she was she was there and I could see her and she was youthful she was more like the, the pictures I saw in the photo album as a young person uh, not the grandmother I knew uh, before she had died or as I knew her in this world but I knew that it was her and I saw other people as well. Wow yeah and then there was you know one of the most striking things was there was the river was coming through and there was was just a river I know the Bible talks about the river of life and I didn't understand that conceptually but nothing is metaphorical in 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 heaven by the way nothing is allegorical you know Jesus used a lot of them to describe you know the the vine and the and so forth that he used a, a lot of the analogies and such That everything in in heaven was literal in the sense that it was what it was and the river of life was coming through and so these beautiful vistas flowers growing constantly so there was nothing dying in heaven everything in the and the colors were more vibrant I saw shades uh, of colors um, and fragrances that were exponentially more varied than any i had seen so in other words you'd see a uh, reds of of maybe hundreds of different shades of reds it was like somebody had removed a veil and then everything became so so brilliant and so breathtaking the river of life was something that seemed to feed throughout uh, the the nature scape that i was uh, was looking at
0: it was literal water
1: it was literal water and it was rushing forward and is feeding into to everything about through the mountains through the through the fields uh everywhere that that every every place that i saw in my in my uh vision of of uh, heaven and then i looked uh and and it appeared in some way some fashion because you know there aren't words in the english or any lexicon in all the languages to describe exactly what it is because it's it's it is otherworldly but it was as though the river was coming through from jesus himself that is it was it was it was flowing from him and providing life to everything um, there and um and there was joy you know the bible talks about treasures in heaven and uh, Often wondered what treasures in heaven really were. I, you know, do we get a bigger mansion, bigger house? No, it's none of that, because uh, it's more egalitarian than that. What I believe now, having come from that experience, is that the treasures in heaven really are closeness to God. You know, and that those who were closest to God here in this life, they had a closeness with Him. You know, those were let's say uh um you know, a last minute conversion, if you will, sure. you know, in the in the um
0: on the cross with Jesus at the last moment,
1: right Yeah, they profess and you know, sure. there is that lapse between the six minute lapse between the heart and the brain. So maybe God gives people that opportunity. And so they the closeness, their closeness may not be initially at least. Or, as close as those who had really walked with him or drawn close to him, yeah. and that was the treasure. You know, treasure. The ethos of heaven is joy, and joy just permeates. There's no sadness. You know, my tears are one of awe, yeah. and one of um, joy, because in heaven joy is complete. And um, you know, I saw, I, I saw children. I saw different stages of life. I saw ca- 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 cascading kind of linens. Folding down, and it was kind of like a flowing and a flowing down, and I saw these people frolicking about, uh, angels, children, adults, just in joy and abandonment. But there was something very unique about about their kind of merriment, and that was that everything was intentional. There was nothing that was not intentional because everything was directed by the Spirit of God.
0: So I'm, I'm really intrigued as you were seeing everybody there. Um, what were they doing? Uh, we, we talk about in this world that we work and our work is worship to God and it's not uh, drudgery. It's not a job. It's work that is abundant, which is kind of our goal, which is the challenge. So what did you see there that would help us to understand what what was everybody we doing? <laughs> were they just having that feast and then uh, there was no feast? Were they dancing? I don't know. What was going on? It wasn't boring because a lot of people, I think, have a preconception that heaven is,
1: you know, and it's the clouds and it's yeah, all of that, which is right. not at all true. I mean, everyone had things to do and activities and it was, they were different activities because they were all orchestrated by God. So God orchestrated and again it was the the spirit of god but also the presence of god was permeating all of heaven and speaking to
0: people so he was directing give me some of these activities were they just throwing football like that song <laughs> i mean what were they doing yeah so
1: so there were they were constructing things but not construction as we would let's say um, a building what they were do is constructing that is god's uh intention for them for example one of the uh one of the visions i had or one of the sights I, I saw was uh three three people there was a woman uh she had long brown hair there was a man with kinky black hair there was another man with a goatee okay um and so they were holding hands and I was I was there walking with Jesus and they were to my right but the the woman was praying and she was looking and it seems she was praying to, to the Lord but she wasn't looking at Jesus who was next to me it was as though Jesus was standing in the midst of them as they were holding hands again there are no words really I don't know how the presence of the Lord really infuses itself through every person and in every activity, but they were the woman was praying uh, for somebody and that somebody was you know that th- she said, thank you, Lord. so and I documented all of this by the way, uh, during or after the hospital okay. uh, so that was journaled yeah. so and I recorded these things and so she said she prayed, that 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 person would seek the uh, God's forgiveness or Christ's forgiveness. What do you think she was praying for someone that was not in heaven? I believe she was. I believe the three of them were joining together in prayer and interceding as, as Jesus by the way intercedes huh. constantly in my experience. And again, it's not something where you know I speak, he speaks, it's the pervasive, Presence of Jesus throughout heaven which is directing all of these activities yeah. and as far as create creating and this is where it gets Again a little yeah. woozy is that there are you know how an artist would paint? Yeah. Something and create it? it that same level of creativity You know as or a builder would construct a building yeah. are following the directions of Jesus Christ so it was a manifestation of that through the the
0: actions and activity of the people doing it. Okay. Now we always hear eternity is obviously forever, but the concept of time in the midst of this, do you have any sense of how long you were out or in or whatever you want to call this experience? Was it a few moments, a few minutes? I was, I was clinically dead for 30 minutes. So that was recorded on the monitor. Okay. So at least you had that as a timestamp.
1: We know that my heart had stopped for 30 minutes before I had been revived. Um, so that period that I was with Jesus in heaven during that time really was inconsequential in the scheme of what we call time in heaven. Time is, after all, a a human-made creation. Um, In heaven, there is no conceptualization of time. Everything is, I didn't see darkness in heaven, Um, not to say there wasn't darkness in heaven. I did see... In, in the distance I saw something which was a bit odd which looked like kind of a funnel And and that was different in its makeup than what I was seeing in the in the light of and the brilliancy of heaven um, And I asked Jesus about that because that was so different and his response to me was that that was where that was the the, the connection between where I came from which would be this world and heaven. In other words, that's where I assume I was coming through that place to heaven. And um, and again, I just have to reiterate that I'm a scientific guy. I'm a fact-based guy. Yeah. All of this, um, I wouldn't be speaking this way if not for my personal experience, because I did refute this uh, before my own. And many of these things are really so. Um, So incredibly beyond what we are familiar with here. Some is familiar, landscapes and such, but some is unfamiliar in terms of the
0: dynamics and and God's makeup. So there was obviously no clocks there. Yes, no So that didn't exist, for example. Um, But something you said earlier about when the heart stops, the brain is still alive for about six minutes, and you don't know what can happen in that moment if Jesus is inviting them one last opportunity or whatever that looks like. Say more about that. Yes, and it ties into what Jesus said. He, he said, and it reiterated what was
1: said in the Bible, and that he said, I desire that no one should, will, would perish. Mm-hmm. And I remember that very distinctly because the only sadness i i really realized in jesus was his sadness and looking um at those who did not know him in this world and again we were thinking simpatico um not that i had the mind of god i didn't but i understood what he wanted me to know and so as he was looking upon those who did not know him it said it was the only time i saw um the sadness of, of, of Jesus, the sadness of God. You know, the shortest verse uh, Jesus wept. I saw the feelings, the emotions of the Lord. And, and that was something that, um, you know, he really yearned for. I don't think we grasp fully how much God desires to be with his creation, with his, with his beloved. You know, and those who are lost, rejecting him and, and wanting to stray away from him. That is something that he will go to the ends of the earth and he has and delay if he has to what his intent is to save that one lost soul
0: that's awesome, that's awesome yeah. I'm excited to hear the the immediate understanding and you're able to communicate and because that's what I've kind of invested my desire is why can't people just communicate better? but you're saying it's just it's there help us to to know how this Transition from you staying there to going back because I think that would be very interesting You had to go back through this funnel or something Well, what happened was a a butterfly actually landed on my shoulder. I'm writing a
1: People dying to meet Jesus was a book about brokenness and sorrow which briefly mentions my near-death experience And then people would write me or they would comment back and Um, you know, I want to hear your full experience, you know, not I, I want not just snippets of it. I want the full full experience and so I go into depth about one that happened was a butterfly I had landed on my shoulder it was the most beautiful butterfly you know just velvety of colors of all all uh, shades again their wow. colors were more pronounced than yeah. in heaven than here and so I was curious about that because everything is intentional nothing happens happenstance in heaven so I asked God about that I said Jesus what And he he explained to me that this was um, symbolic of the wisdom that he was providing to me to guide me through life. Um, And he said, "I'm going to be returning you. I'm returning you." And did he say why? Yes. I asked him why. Well, yeah. (laughs) uh, That was one thing I was very distraught about. I was well, I was never very distraught in heaven at all. But one thing I felt like a. Uh, A child you know wakes up on Christmas morning goes down to unwrap his presents and then the parent says well you have to go back to bed and go back to sleep you can't open it now that's how I felt and and so when I asked him he said that your purpose has yet to be fulfilled and so my response to that was well Jesus uh, I think I should know my purpose if I have to leave this paradise Uh, to return to that world and by the way I can say uh, very confidently that none of your loved ones who have gone on to heaven want to come back (laughs) that that I didn't want to come back and so I challenged Jesus at that point and he told me that my purpose had yet to be fulfilled and he said I will not give you your purpose in full but because otherwise you would rely upon yourself and not upon me. And I'm the type A, type A plus person. have to plan it for everything. You know, I just don't live in the moment very easily. So it's very hard for me personally. So I knew what Jesus was telling me at that point, that I needed to get still. Of course the Bible tells us that, to get still, to wait on him, which was an anathema to my nature uh, here in this world, right. and that it needed to be moment by moment, he said, focused on him relying upon that wisdom to guide me through mm. and I, I learned that when when a friend of mine you know was going to get his hair cut right and, the, and the, the hairstylist, he went on the wrong day, hairless you know he was going to change the appointment and there was somebody who lost her husband just recently died and she was distraught mm-hmm. and the hairstylist said well you know I can't fit you in now but you know knowing that he was a believer you might want to talk to this person who whose hair he was cutting or, or styling and so that was his purpose in the moment at that time was to share the love of Christ to that person he went ten- his intention was to get his hair cut But I think that's what the Lord was telling me, was that moment by moment, you know, grocery store, at work, wherever we are, that we need to hear the voice of God because wisdom is essentially the voice of God speaking to us as to what to do and to listen, to be attentive to the Lord. And that's what he was teaching me so that when I returned, I would be more attentive to the Lord and directing him in the in the minutia of life, because as Christians, he taught me that we're not to just hang out; we're to be intentional in what we do in every moment of every day, yeah. for the opportunities.
0: And that is an ingredient, or a step, or the key to living a fuller life, or this abundant life that we're exploring. Yeah.
1: Yes, and I believe that was one of the purposes that I had. Okay. Was instead of because I know David you have trained so many people um, and corporations and I had done some training as well and I felt like in being intentional that I wanted to be more intentional with my walk in Christ and how I could apply that uh, during my walk here more intentionally for Christ Mm -hmm. to make a kingdom impact versus you know trying to attain a level of success or trying to achieve you know a, a certain title or respect from other people
0: so your purpose got clear focused that, yes. that would be would you put any other words to describe your purpose that you 're walking out daily now?
1: Yes, my overarching purpose is to love God more, my purpose is to grow closer to the Lord, so because I know the closer I grow to to God, the closer I get to Him, the more I will. The what He wants me to do will just spill out of me. You know, He'll change the have to do this, have to do that, you know, I have to do this work, I have to, you know, be good, be a good Christian or whatever, to the want to, because that's who I am, because I'm getting closer to the Lord, so I become more Christ-like, not, not, I don't become as Christ, but I become more Christ-like, and the closer I become to who Christ God wants me to be, the more I can live um, almost effortlessly, in some cases, to do that. What he wants me to do, I'll know the mind of Christ. I'll listen to him as I as I heard him all of the time in heaven, but I'll be able to listen to him more attentively here, and be able to do that which he tells me, and I'll have the will to do it. You know, the have to will be changed to the want to i want to do good i want to do these things that are honoring to god and and good for other people
0: so then you're thrust back in or gently placed back in um, and you're now called to live this purpose out and but you're back in this world where the evil one's going to trip you up and challenge you and say you can't have the abundant life you can't live this purpose or it's just going to throw everything your way did jesus give you any insight or just says just remember the butterfly or what was it that he said when you go back in how are you going to navigate this
1: yeah so he, he told me there would be trials um he told me in his word yeah. but he he reiterated that because what happened subsequent to my return so my last memory of jesus was he held my hand and um i said i love you i knew he loved me That was a give it. And that was enough for a lifetime. So, and then uh, I woke up in the Stark hospital room. And I thought, you know, I needed to recover for, you know, months after that because I had so much damage to my valves in the leg and the heart. My lungs were damaged. I thought, you know, okay, now I'm enlightened, you know, I'll just go out and and do God's yeah, will I'm yeah, a yeah. better person you know for having met him face to face what happened with some of my greatest trials you know my our daughter had many strokes mm-hmm. and um, she couldn't even remember her uh, her childhood and in her adolescence she had these strokes mm-hmm. and then she was raped mm-hmm. and then um, you know I had the finance I mean we had about a half a million dollars in uh, bills because mm-hmm. of my hospitalization and um, You know I had all kinds of trials Sure. And I th- you know felt like I had my job moment and I felt like I deserved to have my post, you know Job moment which was the where he got threefold more. Yes. You yeah know, yeah. I Is- I had, You know, I had to come back. So yeah. um, I know it sounds crass, but at least you know God owed me that right, you know um, a season of bounty and it was quite the opposite to uh, that which was a season of trials and brokenness but what i realized through that is that god was using that because i had this confidence that i never had before i will never doubt god as i did before my near-death experience where i shouted you need to show up you know i doubt you crisis of faith mm-hmm. I'm, I'm confident i'd be i'd be stupid not to be confident in my lord that he is who he is mm-hmm in uh, that um, heaven is for real and all of those good good things that now I know in my heart of hearts. Yeah. But I had that confidence that he was always with me to bring, carry me through. So I was more capable, able to carry through that brokenness, that, the hardships that came my way post uh, being in heaven. Yeah. That maybe otherwise it would have been too devastating for me. So he knew that. And equip me to do that and so my mission really purpose to a large extent is helping people to overcome suffering hopefully helping them to overcome brokenness so that they can live the
0: abundant life so how are you living the abundant life through that strategy or that calling or that direction
1: yes um, my abundant life definition of it is very different than what it was previous uh, my definition of the abundant life really is in being filled with the Spirit of God Jesus Christ, so that regardless of the circumstances, good or bad, that the, the stability of being filled with God's Spirit is the is the holding force to being able to overcome obstacles and trials. Because there are really only two ways I learned that one can go. In living the abundant life say more one way is when trials hit is to run away you know blame god like i did yeah. prior to my nde you know near uh, death experience near death experience yeah. right um to run away from god blame god you know just seek out other things you know to um besides god um and that causes a lack of abundance the other better way for li- and the only way to live an abundant life is to run closer mm. to God that is to dig in seek his face be honest you know God I don't know why you put me through this I don't know why I have to go through this trial yeah. um, and, and if you have to shout out to him you know I think I feel abandoned I don't even know if you're there be honest transparent with God because he knows our heart. And then, but we're seeking, he knows that we're earnestly seeking him. He knew that, and he did show up. He showed up, I had to die for him to show up, but earnestly seek after the face of God so that we don't have to die physically. But this is what I discovered, um, is that, because a lot of, I have have a lot of people that that have contacted me or I've known who've gone through tremendous suffering yeah. of all kinds. Yeah. And I noticed that those who took that second route of drawing closer to God, so it hit, you know, the inevitable consequence, suffering, trial hits, they run closer to God, they're in that group, that those are the people who are closest to God. And that really is the treasure in heaven. Mm -hmm. So their loss in this world Mm -hmm. is rewarded in heaven by closeness, Mm -hmm. in intimacy with God, Mm -hmm. that it will make it all worth it nothing is lost it will all be redeemed and that is a, that is a guarantee from the lord that i learned not in his word and i learned it being with him that nothing is lost everything will be redeemed he redeemed our lives on the cross for those who receive that and he redeems us everything romans eight twenty eight: 28 all things work for good to those that belong to him and are now called according to his purpose and his purpose is established. It's in our DNA, spiritual DNA. It's really discovering that. And the way that we discover it is to hear, it's to grow closer to God, to hear the voice of God's Spirit to direct our steps. And that those people who have suffered the most, then their reward, their redemption, is not just on this earth, as it isn't for me, because I'm able to help people, be able to. Love them more sincerely um, because I know I feel their pain, but also I know that when I go back, um, oh, phew, it's going to be beyond
0: words. That's the abundance. Thank you. That's awesome, Randy. I'd love to talk to you more, and we will. Um, this is the book, Dying to Meet Jesus. There's another resource you have coming out that's going to even offer even more detail about this. Amazing experience. I don't know if there's even a word to describe what you've gone through. Um, yeah. And then, you know, it's like you being the uh, the true skeptic, and to have this experience is really uh, helpful. I think for those that would be like, is this legitimate? Is this real? Is he making this up, or what is that all about? And you hear the movie uh, Breakthrough, which was pretty remarkable. And this Heaven's for Real, you mentioned that uh, as far as an interesting phrase there, but. We have a lot more for you. Uh, this book came out in 2020, just prior to the pandemic. So interesting timing there. But this was uh, a podcast, video podcast for Abundant Life on uh, the story that Randy shared. And uh, I'll never forget it. So Thank you very much for sharing it with me and with our audience. Thank you, David. You're welcome. Thank you.